This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are three, you heard me, three fantastic human beings. Paul Jaisley. Hello. Tia Vasiliu. Hello. And Megan Ray. Hello. Megan, I'm super excited that you're here today. Paul and Tia, you know, welcome. But uh, you are (laughs) a very special guest on this podcast. (laughs) And could you tell us a little bit about what you do before we get the show started, just to know why you're such a special guest on this show? I'm such a special guest. First of all, as previously stated, I am a fantastic human being. I can vouch Uh, for that. Yeah, yeah. I met Tia in real life. It's true. We actually shared a very small space for like three days and it was Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Very great. Um, I am an admin for the LCS Valkyries, which is an organization of women and non-binary folks who work in comic book stores. So that's a really big cool thing that I do. And I also write about comics for places like Word of the Nerd and Comicosity, and you can find me online doing that all the time. Otherwise, I just, like, pretty much sit around and read comics. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, we have that in common. The, the last part, yeah. at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that you're here. Like, this is... career, but... Yeah, that's, so, so thank you so much for being on the show. Now, let's, let's actually get into things. Let me ask the question that I ask every single week to everyone on this show. How have you been... How have comic books been? Let's start with Tia. Oh, hey. Um, I've been fine. And I think comic books have been fine as well. So uh, this week I read some new things and some older things. It occurred to me actually from a Valkyrie tweet uh, that... I've only ever read Rachel Rising in French, which meant that I didn't really understand everything that was going on. Uh, the art is very beautiful, and it uh, it made me pick it up in English so that I could actually read it and know what's happening a little bit better. This is by Terry Moore. And I would describe it as like a, a better supernatural, kind of. Okay. You know, I don't know if anyone still watches that show. Like the apocalypse happened 12 years ago. I don't even know. Oh. But yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen that show. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Like she, you know, she wakes up after being murdered and she's there's like, she's trying to find her murderer and there's demons and there's witches and um, the whole cast is women and it's awesome. It's black and white. Uh, the artwork is really stunning. I I strongly recommend it, especially going into Halloween. I also read uh, Now Number One, which is a fanographics anthology. It had uh, a lot of really cool stories in it, everything very different from one another. So um, I love picking up anthologies, and usually there's going to be like one or two creators in there who I recognize and who I'm really a fan of, and then I always end up discovering more people to love which is great and uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have to say though I think my favorite story in here was the Malachi Ward Matt Sheehan one which is what I picked it up for it was like this really neat sort of like look at the history of space and then into the future of it and uh, they just they tell they're really subtle sometimes in their storytelling and I really like it uh, I also read Kid Lobotomy number one by Peter Milligan and Tess Fowler, and I see some other people have that on their list as well, so I will hold off talking about that maybe uh, until later, but just uh, my initial thoughts on it were that it sort of reminded me of like if American Horror Story did The Shining. 
Hmm. So okay. A- okay. apparently I'm apparently I'm doing the thing where I describe things using other things today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and Heartthrob season two, number four, uh that's by Chris Savela, Robert Wilson, and Nick Filardi. Uh, I just I just love this series and I'm so excited that it is uh, kind of continuing into season two that it's being optioned into a TV show just like give us all the heartthrob and uh, yeah so Paul well I read a variety of things this week as well I read my favorite thing is monsters volume one by Emil Ferris this is a giant literally a giant. OGN that came out over the summer. It's a big oversized book. And it's Emil Ferris's first graphic novel. And I think that kind of shows, and I mean that in a good and bad way, because the artwork and the way the story is laid out on the pages is really interesting. It's a visually stunning book. It's set in the late 60s in Chicago. It's about an eight-year-old girl named Karen who's uh, obsessed with monster movies and horror comics. And her upstairs neighbor ends up being murdered and she tries to investigate the murder. So the story's kind of her exploring that and the visual look of the book is meant to emulate Karen's journal. So the pages look like a loose leaf three ring or like spiral notebook kind of page with the blue lines on it. And everything is done in like ballpoint pen. And there's some amazing visuals where Karen is describing going to the Chicago Art Museum and she recreates the these like classical paintings in just multicolored ball ballpoint pen drawings so it's a visually very interesting book but the story is all over the map because you get karen's story and then you get flashback to her murdered neighbor's life as a holocaust survivor there's a weird twist that happens at the in the last 20 pages of the book that just and the book ends very abruptly and it's the first volume there's going to be the second volume just came out recently so i know that there's going to be a follow-up to it but i feel like it very much feels like someone's first attempt at writing a comic book where they overwrite a lot of things, if that makes sure. sense. But it is a vis- visually striking book, and there's a lot of interesting details in it. And I think it's 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 an interesting book, but interesting doesn't always equal good. That said, mm-hmm. I'm fully on board for the second volume. So once I get my hands on that, I'll check that out. So it was an interesting book. That it's really worth flipping like, through. Yeah, it's a monstrous book. Like it physically <laughs> takes up a lot of space. I, it's, it's about yeah. It's, it's about four hundred. My eye. It's about four hundred pages. So it's a long book. And I think my I think my biggest uh, criticism or uh, maybe critique of the book is that it would benefit from being serialized or at least broken up into chapters because there's no chapter breaks in the book. It's just 400 pages straight through. And I think I'm used to reading graphic novels or collections that they're broken up into issue length chunks. And this needed something to break up the story a little bit. If that makes sense. Gotcha. So, uh, but it was still good. Like I said, it's visually striking. So it's worth just flipping through the pages if you see it in the store. So, uh, Batman number 33 by Tom King and Joel Jones. I want to mention this just because Joel Jones' artwork is amazing in this book. Uh, this is the first story of a new story arc where Batman and his bride to be Catwoman are journeying <gasps> across the desert. Sorry, spoiler alert. Issue <laughs> 32. Catwoman says yes. Um, no, it's a good. I like the sort of story where it is Batman with a with a partner, you know, but a partner that is not a young boy, a partner that's like a woman he loves. So it's like an interesting <laughs> dynamic between Batman and Catwoman. I think Tom King does a really good job of writing them as a as an equal partnership. In this, she's going to leave issue. him at the altar, right? 
I would assume so, right? Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I hope so. I'll be <laughs> really disappointed if they get married and live happily ever after. <laughs> that's that not bullshit. Batman, exactly. Batman can't live happily ever after, and he needs to be heartbroken. You know, that's, exactly. That's, um, the Mighty Thor number seven hundred. I picked this up because I'm a sucker for big, oversized anniversary issues, and this is a fifty-page <laughs> giant written by Jason Aaron and illustrated by a small army of artists. Um, it's an it's an anniversary issue. It's a big Thor story, and there's actually a line in the story where Thor says, "There's only one type of Thor story, and that's epic." And that's what this is. It's an epic Thor story by Jason Aaron. <laughs> and there's a ton of different artists in here. Um, too many to list, really. Um, Walter Simonson gets like the big uh, first page, first page splash page, which is perfect for a Thor Thor comic. Um, Chris Burnham, Becky Cloonan. Uh, Jill Thompson, Oliver Copiol, and many, mm-hmm. many more. It's awesome. I haven't read a Thor comic in a long time, and this kind of makes me want to read more Thor comics by Jason Aaron. So it did the trick. Got me on board. Nice. Nice. But the best thing I read all week was a Tomahawk issue zero. Oh, man. Mike, have you read a Tomahawk issue zero? No. So I've, <laughs> I've seen it. Like I've walked into Midtown, and I've seen it like a hundred times. And I'm like, oh, that's such a big magazine-sized book. Like, and it's Donny Cates. So I, I think I'm eventually going to read this. Yes. You, yeah, Mike, you need to read a Tomahawk issue zero. And it's then you need Donny to get Cates. a tattoo of one absolutely, of them, of <laughs> absolutely, <one of> the <laughs> absolutely. So it's written by Donny Cates, uh, illustrated by Ian Betterman. And it is a reprint of a story that originally ran in Heavy Metal magazine. And Image Comics collected all the Heavy Metal installments and printed it as a big oversized issue. And it's exactly the type of comic you'd expect to have in Heavy Metal magazine. It is a futuristic sci-fi barbarian story. Uh, The Atomahawk is a sentient battle axe that is wielded by a cyborg Viking called the Cyberserker. And this is what the comic is about. It's a big, like, Kirby-esque... Reminds me of Tom Scioli's sort of American Barbarian type story. Oh, boy. But what's interesting is that Ian Betterman's artwork is heavily influenced by tattoo artwork. Uh, He's a tattoo artist by trade. And a lot of the illustrations have that sort of heavy line, bright colors. The layouts on the pages are more circular rather than a grid because that's what like tattoos are. They don't a grid doesn't fit on a, uh, you know, the contours of human bodies, the more circular and there's actually like a four-page spread in the middle of the issue that is just pictures of a tomahawk tattoos that people have gotten, which is great. Whoa! But it, it it's crazy. It's over the top. Um, it's it's beautiful. It looks nothing like like nothing else on the shelf, as far as artwork goes. And it's like, do you know the the um, the Judas Priest album "Screaming for Vengeance"? It's the album cover that's got like a giant like robotic metallic hawk flying across it. It's like if somebody made a comic based on that album cover is what a Tomahawk is. <laughs> so if that's a reference that you get, you should buy a Tomahawk issue zero. That's super cool. Uh, Megan, what about you? What did you read this past week or so? And how have you been? You know, I didn't, you know we always <laughs> miss that part sometimes of the later people. So how have you been? How have comic books been? That whole jazz. I've been okay. I didn't read a lot of comics this week. Um, my baby is teething. Oh. Which, I don't know if you remember growing teeth, but it's apparently really hard. <laughs> so I am not sleeping, and I'm pretty much reading comics, like, out of the pile of comics I've already read that's next to my chair. 
So a lot of rereads this week. But I did manage to pick up Kid Lobotomy number one, which I accidentally stole from Tia's list. But we have similar tastes, so that's it's fine. totally <laughs> fine. Um, and Kid Lobotomy was really, really cool. I have zero idea what's going on, but I'm totally okay with that. I actually felt like it, it like... It oriented you to the protagonist's perspective in, in a really smart way because he doesn't know what's going on either. Yeah, he has no idea what's going on. His name is just Kid. Yeah. Awesome. Um, he has no idea what's going on and he's working through his own like mental illness and his own psychological issues. So seeing that happen kind of real time in the story is interesting. It threw me off a little bit because the story seems kind of like hodgepodge and directionless but I suspect made it like made it made sense I suspect if we went back and combed through the art and the layouts and the lettering we could figure out the internal logic of the story yes exactly like if I read Peter Milligan's script I would be like why are you making this into a comic like I have no idea what's going on I have no idea what's happening um, and that's often because Kid is saying things that, like, aren't true or aren't cr- quite lined up with reality. But then you get Tess Fowler's art explaining what's happening and, like, in a really cool way, pushing the story along and illustrating the more supernatural elements that are going to come into play later. Whereas the actual script is very, like, internally focused on what Kid is going through. So it's going to be interesting to see what direction this takes and if that keeps happening or if reality and kind of the supernatural elements start meshing a little bit more it is a really weird book i'm really excited for it <laughs> that's cool who who publishes that black crown which you may <laughs> not have heard of before it's a new imprint from idw from shelly bond Ooh. Um, and that is going to be really cool also the whole idea is that they're kind of bringing punk rock comics back sweet which I am completely here for that. <laughs> I am so excited about it. Yeah. yeah. So excited. So they're bringing punk rock, bringing music and comics together, and putting out these really innovative titles. And I think Shelley Bond's goal is to pair kind of more substantiated artists from the past with newer creators to get sort of a mesh of classic kind of punk rock comics and new kind of up-and-coming creators so putting peter milligan and tess fowler together was a match made in punk rock comics heaven and <laughs> there's some more really cool titles coming up from black crown i'm super excited for everything but kid lobotomy was a great start i suggest you listen to the smiths the entire time you're reading the comic <laughs> oh actually no there was a playlist in the back and it yeah, had some of like my favorite music I'm like fuck yeah suede we're doing this so yeah i got to that and i was like all right that's why i like this comic because exactly this comic is just like the inside of my brain made into a really really weird thing and uh frank whiteley does some of the covers and he really leans into kind of the androgynous nature of kid and it's so beautiful, so beautiful. oh that yeah i had to buy that cover because i was like wow yeah. this cover understands me on like a spiritual level <laughs> yeah i felt i felt a connection with that. <laughs> uh, otherwise i'm rereading some of my favorite kind of recent spooky horror stuff because i was decorating for halloween right um, so i went back through one of my favorite favorite things in the world winnebago graveyard it was a four-issue miniseries that ended recently and has a trade coming out in November. It's from Steve Niles and Allison Sampson. But that is one of my favorite spooky things, so I decided to read it again. And it's uh, 
Allison Sampson has an architectural background, so the things she does with panel alignment and, like, drawing into the gutters and drawing weird angles is just, it's crazy. It is amazing. And uh, it kind of redefines horror and includes, in the back, really cool essays on modern Satanism and examines, (laughs) like, is evil natural or supernatural? Is it internal or external? So you read the entire book, and then you read these essays, and you start thinking, like, are these actual monsters? Are these actual demons? Or is it kind of some internal human thing that's being portrayed in this weird supernatural way? So like, I highly recommend that. Oh, that's that <laughs> sounds super cool. Yeah. It is so cool. I It's one of the few miniseries I actually wish was forever. I just wish it was forever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It's four issues, and, I mean, it's amazing. Um, and then, as I do every Halloween, I am rereading batman long halloween oh nice (laughs) yeah of course it's really really fun if you haven't read it it's my favorite batman thing ever it's one of the first comics i ever read in my life yeah that's we're actually talking about it on the show next week it's our it was our pick of the month for october so perfect timing (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, Um, that's pretty much reading yeah Hmm. mostly rereading comics but i'm excited to get into some more new stuff next week Hopefully with less teething problems, I'm guessing. Um, Hopefully, yes. <laughs> uh, well, for me, I I read a little bit of comics. Um, I've kind of been uh, like out of reading them lately because of, I've had just people visiting me and my life is busy. But I did manage to sit down and read some. I read uh, Invincible 141, and I didn't cry at all. Y- you cried. I didn't cry. <laughs> um Invincible's been going on for 141 issues, and it's ending in three months. It's ending at issue 144, and I don't know how I'm going to be able to stand it because it's been such a staple in my comic book reading. I know I've talked about this a bunch on the show already, but, man, Kirkman is really just amping it up. And to know that there's an ending to this book adds so much more value to all of the decisions that he makes. And I'm really excited to see this book end, even though I don't want it to end. I I go back and forth on it. But issue 141, Ryan Otley's art was top-notch, and the story is just breaking me in all sorts of ways that I didn't know I could be broken. Really loving this book. I've, I've always loved this book, the end, the end. You'll just go back and reread it when it's over yeah. and you'll notice all <sighs> sorts of new things because you won't be like emotionally traumatized. <laughs> yeah. you'll, you know, you'll, you'll see it coming. So you'll be able to look at some of the other aspects. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll remember all the good days when all the characters that I love were alive. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I also read uh, Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil from the World of Black Hammer number one, which is a whole mouthful. Uh, this is a book by Jeff Lemire, David Rubin, and Dave Stewart on colors. Uh, basically, the story, this takes place within the Black Hammer universe. If you're reading Black Hammer, this book is going to make total sense. If you're not reading Black Hammer, don't pick this book up because it's not going to make any sense at all. Um, but the but the basic story is that one of the characters, or the main character, I guess, the character, the title character, Black Hammer, his daughter exists in the quote-unquote real world um, outside of where the rest of the normal Black Hammer story takes place, and she's trying to find her father, who went missing after this big, huge battle with the ultimate evil enemy called Anti-God. And so, in order to figure out where her father is, she takes this beautiful like moment of logic and reasoning says well who knows how to find superheroes the best their arch nemesis right so she's the whole book is about her finding all of the like 
villains of the Black Hammer universe to see if they know where all the superheroes who disappeared in the Black Hammer story went. Um, so if you're if you're into this book, if you're into Black Hammer, totally pick this up. What I really like about this series is that it's doing something that I think a couple of other books out there are trying to do, which is, and you know, I think it's been going on for a while, but it, more recently I've noticed a couple of books have been doing it, specifically Bitch Planet and Animosity, where the main storyline is happening, but a secondary like backup story is also happening side by side so you're getting you get more of the fleshed out universe of the comic book uh, i'm a huge fan of it i know that it, it's kind of following that weird problematic side of the big two where you in order to get the actual main story you have to buy all the side stories but i think if it's done and executed well like i think the like Black Hammer, Bitch Planet, and Animosity have been doing, where you get the you get the reader invested and say, optionally, these books are out there. And for you know someone like me, seeing that like Bitch Planet is off right now and the triple feature issues are coming out, I'd have no problem spending that extra three or four dollars a month, getting more of the world, getting more of the Bitch Planet universe. Um, so I'm not spending any actual money. But with Sherlock Frankenstein or with the World of Animosity or the other Animosity books. Um, they're kind of like running side by side to the actual story, but I don't have a problem with it, I guess. I just thought it was interesting. I don't know. Hmm. If you, I don't know if any of you have any thoughts on that. I just noticed that it's becoming kind of a little bit of a trend, um, and I don't know if we see that anywhere else. But um, Finally, I did read X-Men Legacy Volumes 3 and 4, finishing my reread of the series. This is Simon Spurrier, Tang and Huat, uh, and Koi Pham. This book, I love it to death. The ending was still just as perfect as I remember, despite all the problematic sexist bullshit that spews from the mouth of David Haller that I don't remember being in the book. Um, I just kind of blocked those thoughts out, and I was like, all right, dude, lay off Emma Frost. We get it. You don't like her. Move on. Um, but otherwise, the, the ending of this series as a whole, like reading it from beginning to end in quick succession is still just as sweet and savory as I remember. Like, it's just as perfect. The idea of what the book was from the beginning didn't change near the end. And it's, I don't know if Simon Spurrier went into the series like this, but man, it was good. So, if you can get past all the problematic pieces, it's a really, really solid story. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, let's let's move on. Let's talk about what comic books are coming out in the near future. So, what are your, comic books are coming out on October 25th. What are you all excited for? Let's start with you, Paul. Well, I'm excited for the Commandy Challenge number 10. This is the installment that is written by Greg Pak, art by Joe Prado. And what's really interesting about Commandy Challenge is this idea that each issue, you, the creators go into blind, basically. They get the previous issue's story. They have to figure out the way out of the cliffhanger that the previous creative team left for them. And issue nine, which was the Tom King and Kevin Eastman issue of Community Challenge, is probably one of the best single issues I've read all year. Um, it's hard to describe without spoiling it or giving too much away, but that issue, they really reset the tone of the series, the Community Challenge, where they had Community basically trapped in a mysterious bunker and every day, this robotic figure would come in and kidnap one of the people from the bunker and take them away. And Commandy spent every day trying to stop them until he's the last person left. And then he gets taken out this mysterious door that we don't know what lies behind. We don't know what is on the other side of this door that everyone's being taken through. 
So it completely kind of reset the tone of this, the series, and it gave, I guess, the new creative team, Greg Pak and Joe Prado, a clean slate to start over with and decide what's going to happen on the other side of this mysterious doorway that Commandy was just taken through. So mm-hmm. that's the book I'm most curious about. I really love that type of cliffhanger aspect to this series where it's like you really have no idea what to expect issue to issue and that it actually makes for a really exciting comic book reading experience given the fact that due to the the modern state of being a comic book fan you kind of know what's coming down the road a couple months in advance to the previews and all that mm-hmm. but this book it's like it's a who it's an open it's a clean page a clean slate every issue and that's what i really love so that's what i'm excited to see this week cool uh megan what about you I am really, really excited for Jughead the Hunger to come out. Oh, yes. Uh, it's part of the Archie mm-hmm. Horror line. Yeah, I am, uh, for the record, total trash for Riverdale right now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? You, I think you're in a good back. company. You're, you are Cannot welcome. Help myself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also total trash for, like, old Archie Digests and the new <laughs> Archie line of comics. And I just really love Archie. But this horror stuff has been really impressing me and i know it takes forever to come out sometimes because (laughs) yes archie went from being such a small company doing like little newsprint digest to experimenting with all these really interesting avenues for their classic characters so i'm willing to wait even though i don't want to because (laughs) it's really really good and really really inventive and i feel obnoxious every time somebody ask me for horror comic recommendations because I read so many scary comics and I'm mm-hmm. like, no, you should try Archie. <laughs> 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 I feel like it takes so much explaining, but I'm really excited for Jughead to be a werewolf. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm not sure how much connection it's going to have to the one shot that came out in March-ish. Yeah. Um, is it still Michael Walsh? Ongoing? No, it's not Michael Walsh anymore. Hmm. I don't think it's Pat and Tim Kennedy. Okay. Um, but still Frank Thierry, so that's cool. Uh, I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting. Uh, Robert Hack is doing a variant cover, and Ooh. I need all of those, everything he does forever. So <laughs> <laughs> I have to buy it anyway. I might as well read it, but I think it's going to be really cool and hopefully really spooky and awesome. So glad it comes out in October. I wonder whose idea that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you right now, Megan. Like, all this archie stuff i i'd never read a an archie page in my life until afterlife with archie came out and now i'm like invested in these characters <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean and, <laughs> oh i read terrifying zombie book i would love to read more of these characters and then you get like high school <laughs> in the 50s <laughs> yeah yeah i mean and i'm also like very deep in on the riverdale tv show so that's you know my whole life you know you should come on when kara's on here it'll be a real problem of a show i think yeah nobody will want to listen to that um, I'm also really excited for the Black Crown Quarterly coming out. I know I just raved about Black Crown for mm-hmm. minutes or whatever. Um, but this is going to be a quarterly issue that includes some new content and um, some stuff from Kid Lobotomy, some stuff from a different upcoming Black Crown title, Assassinistas, with Teeny Howard and Gilbert Hernandez. Ooh. Oh, I cannot wait okay. for that one. Because of a roller disco punk rock weirdness. I'm so excited for that. Hell yes. Uh, so I think this will be worth picking up because I think Black Crown is going to be changing the face of indie comics right now. So I think picking up the quarterly would be a really awesome way for new readers who don't know what's going on to jump in and see 
samples of what's going to happen and what kind of series that this imprint is going to be putting out because I think it's all going to be great. It's all Ooh. going to be great. That's awesome. So that's awesome yeah. for me. Hopefully I can read comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tia, what about you? What are you excited for this week? I am excited for Kim and Kim Love is a Battlefield number four by Mags Visaggio, Eva Cabrera, and Claudia Aguirre. I just love this series. It's uh, basically like bounty hunters in space, but everything like, I don't know, the world building and the colors and everything is just so vibrant. And, uh, you know, it's like you could maybe you're not a space bounty hunter, but you still can relate to the problems that Kim and Kim have, which are like basically uh, I don't have enough money and like my relationship problems are legion. (laughs) Yes, I'm not a space bounty hunter, but sure, I can relate to that. You know, I I just I (laughs) I missed number three, so I'm gonna like have to pick them both up and and read them at the at the same time, which is nice. I mean, I I will often buy single issues and then just hoard them so that I can binge read them because I do prefer to trade weight, but I know that it's not like the best, especially for you know books that you really want to show support monthly. Uh, you, it's probably smart to just buy them even if you prefer to trade weight, and then right, yeah. Like a little dragon, hoard your <laughs> comics, and the covers are so great. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, for me this week, I'm really excited for Jean Grey number eight. Um, who'd have thought an X Men book? Um, <laughs> oh, is, it, is I, this I, the one there? Stephanie Hans did that beautiful cover. Um, I'm have not you sure. Seen her tweeting about that. I'm not sure. Get that one when you go to the shop. Buy that one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, I'm okay. There's a whole other thing going on here with the X Men books because I don't, because <laughs> I don't. I have uh, I had to limit my physical book purchasing because you know very little space here in my New York apartment, but and you so I'm only buying. It and put it on the wall because it's Stephanie Hans. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, then I wouldn't have any wall space, and I don't think anyone in my apartment would appreciate that um but no i'm I'm really excited for gene gray number eight this is dennis hopeless with victor Ivanez on art um and i couldn't find who was doing inks or colors because the internet is tough but gene gray has consistently been like a really really solid story um gene gray trying to figure out who she is and what she's becoming and does she have to live up to this legacy i know that's marvel's whole shtick right now but it's totally working for books like this like the Iceman book gene gray and i even think generation x all three of those books are really killing it with the like legacy portion of it and i don't think that it's like super heavy-handed however they did take a weird twist recently in gene gray where old gene gray is stuck in young gene gray's mind as like a figment of her imagination and you're not sure if it's the phoenix or it's actually gene gray Hmm. and this is kind of worrisome because the x-men books on the whole are like using these weird mental like i don't even know what you call them like metasphere connections and stories to try to bring back old characters like professor x and wolverine and gene gray people that have died and their deaths had meaning and they've made for better comic books but i it totally devalues them and devalues like the stories that came and as a result of their death by bringing them back in these really really cheap ways like if you wanted to do mm-hmm. a hard reset on the world like secret wars and bring all these characters back then you should have just brought them back I don't know why we have to. Why we had to wait for this weird resurrection legacy event stuff to bring all these characters back. So, 
little peeved. But nonetheless, I think that Dennis Hopeless is delivering a very solid story when he's not being shoehorned into the legacy stuff. Jean Grey trying to discover who she is is like a, such a really, such a solid story Like that I anxiously look forward to every week. So I, I'm excited for this book. I just want this... I just don't want it to get interrupted. I just want it... I just want Dennis Hopeless to keep doing these, like, little one-off hangouts with various characters in the Marvel Universe as Jean Grey tries to figure out what it means to be a superhero and what, to, what it means to be someone with so much power. It's really good. Really good book. So... Go read X-Men. This is now an X-Men <laughs> podcast. Let's just talk about that for the rest of the day. Um, thanks for coming, Megan. We're gonna. I'm just going to sit here and rant. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go to the Riverdale podcast. <laughs> okay. Before we start the second half of our show, I want to remind everyone that the I Read Comic Books Year 4 Kickstarter is still going. We met our goal, people! We met our goal. It's the coolest thing in the world. I cannot believe that we were able to get this thing funded, and now we're on to stretch goals. If you want to hear a Drunk on Comics episode, if you want to hear about how Xander and I make this show, head on over to ircbpodcast.com slash ks2017. Get a t-shirt, get some stickers, be on an episode of this show Go now, ircbpodcast.com slash ks2017. Now, on to the actual topic of discussion for this show. We have Megan here this week, and she's amazing. She works writing comic, writing comic book reviews and articles and all this stuff across the internet. Megan, the question I have for you is when you're writing these articles online or maybe in your diary or, you know, like in a journal or something, um, how do you go about approaching like how you're going to discuss a given comic book or a given topic in comics? Uh, for me, the most important thing is I'm primarily writing for myself and for other people who are going to read the comic or who are thinking about reading the comic. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes from me, my actual like start in comics and history of working in comics being in retail. So a lot of my writing about comics is recommending things and uh, talking about what I love or what I don't love, but not necessarily telling people what to love or what not to love, which I think is uh, one of the biggest issues with people giving reviews is they, they want to be the authority on if it's good or if it's bad. And for me, the goal is more to examine the pieces of the comic and the actual methods of sequential art and storytelling that go into creating a comic and then to start a conversation based on the themes and the kind of direction that the comic is taking or the different people who went into creating it and starting a conversation that people can pick up and you know make their own decisions about whether they want to read it or if they like it or if they don't like it or if they want to recommend it and giving them a starting point to figure out what the comic is rather than saying like this is good this is objectively bad so that's me I like to go in usually with things that I love and just start a conversation about it and start a critique about it and start talking about what the comic is and what it's going to be so do you try to steer your all of your articles in a like a more positive direction or is it are you trying to be as objective as possible adding in pieces of subjectivity throughout yeah, uh, it's a really weird balance. I tend to write about things that I like. It is a lot more fun to make recommendations and to talk about 
books that are changing the face of comics in a positive way or creators who are really pushing the envelope. Right. It's a lot more fun to talk about that and to make recommendations than it is to be negative. Um, I, I don't like saying necessarily that things are bad. If things are objectively problematic, I think it's important to address the way that certain themes or interactions can affect a book and things um, that are positive or negative, you know, weigh the, the checks and the balances against that. But overall, talking about good things is a lot more fun than talking objectively about bad things Right. Um, for the sake mm -hmm. of talking about things that you think are bad. Nobody wants to know what I think is bad because I didn't like it. They want to know what I think is positive or negative based on like the the components of the book gotcha gotcha yeah um, i so feel like that's uh, like there are certain books that are very objectively good and if you asked me to write an essay about what makes them well put together or you know thematically strong or some you know like i could write it but that doesn't mean i necessarily enjoy reading that book you know mm -hmm. so i think oh. there's there's like a really important difference between critiques and recommendations like you know a critique is it's it's almost like uh you're just deconstructing the book and and looking at how it's put together and and what kind of ideas it's engaging with that's a very different thing from a recommendation which is hey i like this thing and you might like this thing and i think that people get confused about not liking the thing being a sort of a stand-in for this is this is actually poorly made or or stupid and you know not not thoughtful and mm -hmm. um the, i think that like while well, mj and i have talked about this before like you know there's if you have a platform to talk about comics and it's just so much more productive to build up the community by saying what's good and what you liked. There's plenty out there to choose from. And so if you're consistently just tearing down comics in your the way that you talk about them and the way that you write about them, I don't know what, you're, what you really perceive as you, your role in the community. Right, I think I that's definitely true. Yeah. <clears throat> and talking about the pieces of a book that make it good or the pieces of a book that make it thoughtful or interesting or innovative is a really good way to talk about comics. And when I see reviews that are, I read this and I hated it, so it's bad. I read this and it was stupid, so it sucks. Like, that doesn't give me anything to interpret my own interpretation of the book. And then I look at the people writing those like, I feel really sorry for you, man, because there are so many good comics out there you could be reading and talking about. And I feel really sad that you're reading things that you hate. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't yeah. like a book, yeah. I, I stop reading it. I, I will read <laughs> X-Men until the day that I die. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I think there's a really crucial flip side to that too, which is like if I'm writing about a, a legitimate problem that I see in a book that, you know, that I feel like is within my purview to interrogate and to call attention to, even if the artist or the creators didn't intend for those layers of meaning to to be there that they can still be there and the, the blind spot where a creator might not have even known that connection was present is is part of that conversation and again it isn't about like do i like this or do i not like this it's just kind of objectively looking at the the 
the context that this book fits into and they're not always maybe necessarily um, constructive or positive. Like sometimes a book may be unintentionally racist and Mm -hmm. someone writing about that is that is that is also that is also not the same thing as saying this is stupid I hate it like in I think in a lot of cases it's just it's not malicious but it becomes malicious when people get defensive about what is what is simply a critic pointing out a facet of the book that they noticed mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Hello, Lydia. I'm um, sorry. Thank you for joining us. I'm no, no. sorry. She's so no. mad. Do not, do not apologize. I think. Look, you guys. I love Li- cats. Lydia has cancer. She's allowed to do whatever she wants. So yes, that's exactly. just how it yeah. is right now. <laughs> um, Paul, I know. Like, I feel like you know, you and I, we've worked together for for quite a long time. Years, I think. Yeah. You know, we when Paul and I met Paul through the random random comic book shop interactions and Paul was writing reviews for me over at Destroy the Cyborg before that was, you know, closed down before we started this show and everything. Paul, what's your what's your approach when you're writing a review for things? Because I know you've been writing for me, but you've also written for plenty of other stuff. I mean, you've had essays yeah. and all sorts of stuff published um, regarding comic books. So what's your approach for this type of stuff? Well, yeah, it's interesting because much like Megan and Tia have both said, it's very hard to write about a bad comic and it's even harder to write about a mediocre comic. Um, you have to be like sort of engaged emotionally or intellectually with a comic in order to have something to say about it, which I think is part of the problem for me is that it takes me a long time to organize my thoughts and find out what's interesting in order to write about a comic. So most of the stuff that I write tends to be more about the format of the comic, the way it's put together. And I've always found that to be the most interesting thing. The way the story is told to me is always more interesting than the story itself. So mm-hmm. I'm always looking at the way artists will lay out a page or the way that the they use color, the way that they use layouts, the way that the, the author is using dialogue, the way the story is told. The, the problem with that, though, is you're trying to describe a visual medium in written language. It's the same problem I had when I was writing record reviews when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. How do you describe music in language? How do you describe visual artwork in language other than saying it looks really nice? Or, you know, so that's my biggest thing. So I try to approach writing about comics, analyzing why they chose this these choices to tell the story, why these particular things were done to tell the story, and whether they help the story or or take away from it. That is if that makes sense. Literally my reason for living is what you just said. (laughs) Like, if I can help people learn how to look at art and talk about art, like, that is my reason for living. And it's so much more simple than people think. Like, you don't need to be an expert. You just have to have eyeballs that work and patience. And I always tell people to describe what they see as though they're talking to someone who can't see it. And, like be as detailed and granular as you possibly can talk about mm-hmm. the composition the color the lines talk about the textures and the light and you know what what it what objects are in there and as you describe it sounds so stupid and so like basic but you will start to to make connections organically and and the language will come to you as you describe it that way there's a really great little book that anyone who writes about 
comics or art should read. It's called A Short Guide to Writing About Art by Sylvan Barnett. And it... It did just, you link that in the show notes? Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, I'll um, make sure it, to put that in the show notes for the show this week. It, I th- and the, the one I have up is just one chapter that is online, but um, you can get it on Amazon or Kindle or whatever. And it just is, it kind of lays out a set of exercises and is a little bit more specific about what I'm talking about in, in art history. We call this formal analysis. And uh, it's literally the first step that any professional starts with when they are engaging with some kind of art and it works for comics too and it's so helpful if you are struggling to translate the visual medium and how it makes you feel and how it makes you think into words like just go back to the very basics of describing it right see that actually brings yeah. brings us to a point that i i wanted to ask um all of you is there a specific like lexicon of words that you try to pull from or ways to describe things that work well you think in your articles when you're writing them or just writing in general or trying to explain something to someone um other than just saying like paul said it looks good well unpack that what what looks good you know Right. And I mean, and that's the thing. I don't know if there is a like a common thing like or a theme or a way you 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 typically go about describing specifically sequential art, because I think that there is a difference in describing, say, a solid, a single painting versus a sequential art, because there is more there's like a a direct flow to it. Whereas in a painting, I don't think there. No, you're totally right. I don't know. I have only (laughs) been to the Louvre once. Um, (laughs) But uh, I mean, I think that in a painting, there isn't a necessarily intended flow but in comics there definitely is so is there do you think that there's a distinct difference that you use when you're trying to describe say like a splash page versus a page full of panels i think uh my approach whenever i read a comic is to do the same exact thing you do when you're reading prose or when you're reading just the dialogue of a comic is look at the art look at the panel look at that splash page and say what is this doing like what is this doing for the movement of the plot what is this doing for the tone of the book because it is intended to push you along and there is intent behind the art intent behind the panel layouts Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. if you look Mm -hmm. at that page and say like what is this doing for me is it making me want to flip to the next page is it making me understand more of the script like is it making me understand where they are or who the characters are what their relationship is to each other so if you just block out the words for a second and look at the page and say, what is this art specifically doing for the comic? Then even if you don't have the words or the terminology to describe what's happening in comic book terms, you can still look at it as a person picking up their very first comic and see that the art is doing something and you can decide that for yourself. And I think anybody can do that. Having the words definitely helps um, and having when you're reviewing comics and critiquing comics, having an understanding of how they're put together and why and the certain terminology, that helps. But anybody who picks up their first comic for the first time can look at it and still make decisions and assumptions, just like you can walk into a museum for the first time and look at a painting and say, this makes me feel happy. Right, and I think mm-hmm. that there is something to be said. I think you you just said all of the questions that I think people need to ask themselves. I think the problem is that they're, that some people just don't know what questions to ask themselves to try to get those answers out of themselves. Um, and so I guess, which kind of leads me to another another 
thing that I wanted to bring up, which was, you know, when you're when you're writing an article, like, are you trying to gear your intent towards people that are maybe more experienced comic readers or people that are are you trying to like bridge the gap between all comics readers first time and long time um or it or do you it sounds because it sounds to me like it's easier to write a comic review when you understand the intricacies of how a comic is made but perhaps you know a first time comic book reader maybe doesn't know that do you think using those types of words to describe that without going into full detail of how a comic is made can be confusing i think it can be if you're if you're making an effort to be academic about it and make it inaccessible to people who don't understand how comics are put together, then that's not going to be a successful critique. It might be successful in the way that you're analyzing it, but people who read it, even people who make comics sometimes aren't going to be able to understand what you're saying. So Mm -hmm. that's, it feels unfair and it feels um, kind of haughty. I'm not sure I agree. I think that maybe a bad review, yes, but like you have to show your work. You have to, you, if you're going to make a complicated analysis, you know, you, you should be connecting it at every stage back to what is there, what is on the page. And mm-hmm. anyone should be able to recreate your argument based on how you describe it. Uh, as, as you see it in the work. I think that's definitely true. I think um, maybe what I'm trying to say is doing that exclusively makes your argument less accessible. Whereas if you take a moment to explain what you're saying, rather than just throwing out kind of key terms and terminology based on like the inside baseball of how comics are put together, if you mm-hmm. take a moment to delve into that and explain yourself, uh, then that makes it makes it more successful and backs up your argument more than if you're just focusing mostly on using correct terminology. So I think making the effort to make your critique accessible to people who maybe have not necessarily created comics is really important. Yeah. I think that's, that's you. Part of that is explaining why those techniques or the specific things you're referencing work for the comic or don't work for the comic. So if you say splash page, not everyone might know what a splash page is or a double page spread, but explaining what it, how it functions in the story fills in that gap for someone that might not understand the terminology. When you talk about a nine panel grid, not everyone understands exactly what how the shape of the nine panels are, but explaining like why that functions in the story and what purpose it serves for the story, saying, oh, it sets up a sort of rhythm for the story. I think that filling in the detail of why that p- specific reference you're making works for the comic will fill in the gap for anybody that's not familiar with the terminology. And then theoretically they would be able to go on and read another comic without uh, any help. And they would be able to apply those concepts for for themselves going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, comics, what's interesting to me is that the, the things that make comic books interesting, the sort of formal elements and the construction of the comics you don't really notice until they're pointed out in a weird way. Because I think reading comics is very intuitive. Maybe that's just me because I've been reading comics as long as I can remember. But I think it's a very intuitive art form. You understand what's going on without knowing the terminology but or the, the formal aspects of it. But when you see someone pointing out the way comic books work on the page, I mean like someone doing a nine-panel grid or someone 
you know, the way the artwork will maybe draw your eye across a page with an unconventional layout. When you notice that, noticing it is interesting because that's you suddenly see how comic books work, whereas the past, they've always worked for you without noticing the, the sort of nuts and bolts of it. But when you start seeing the nuts and bolts being pointed out by the creators, that's where you get a really interesting insight. And I think that's the most fun thing to write about. I love when you get something and you're like really digging into it and really unpacking it. And then it turns out that it was like a solution to a mistake that deadlines wouldn't allow a proper (laughs) fix to, you know, I mean, it happens. And I, I really just want to make sure that we're all on the same, like kill the author page here because, you know, the the word of God isn't like you're not beholden to it at all when you're writing or talking about comics like Mm -hmm. the creators had their say when they made the comic and now it's your turn to see what you see in it and um sometimes it is just as simple as like the deadline was tomorrow so this is what we have and it's okay for you as a critic or as a reader to find layers or find meaning that the creators didn't necessarily intend to put there like if you see it there and you can uh like i said earlier show your work then it's there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i encounter that quite often and um as we know like twitter has connected us with our heroes and creators in ways that is kind of unprecedented in comics so now we can write a review, put it online, someone can read it and come back and say, you're wrong, that's not what I intended. Um, which happens pretty mm-hmm. often, actually. You don't have to really? wait six months and then go to a convention and then talk to them about their book. And then they say, actually, what <laughs> I intended is this. And then you have a beer and you shake hands. Like now it's on Twitter and there are real people behind the critiques that we're making. So if I see something and I say, this seems sexist because of the way you treated this female character and this and this and this is why. And the creator can come and say, or can publicly say, that is not what I intended. That's not what I put out into the world. But realistically, any piece of art, once it's out on the public market, people are going to have opinions about it. People are going to interpret it based on their own personal experiences and interpretations. And that's something that's out of control. And like Tia said, if you can see it, if you could back it up, and if that's the way that you interpret what's happening, then that's valid. And, you know, your feelings and interpretations are valid. A lot of times I think that the reaction of a creator, like if they're really adamant that it isn't there, like that's interesting to me. You know, we all have mm-hmm. blind spots. And if a creator is very adamant that they that you're wrong, that it isn't there when you're saying, no, it is. And here's like, you know, I'm showing my work. I think that the, the broader context of that versus someone who would say, I didn't think of that. I'm going to think about that going forward. You know, like, uh, this goes back to what I think Megan and you were saying earlier about just like, you know, use your powers for good in a way. And, um, if you are going to say something negative about, a book in your writing, like, you know, there's those three questions, like, does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by me? Does this need to be said by me right now? And, uh, you know, is, am I, am I going to make a contribution here that's going to lead to something productive? Or is this just going to devolve into some horrible Twitter war? Like, pick your battles, (laughs) you know? (laughs) 
I think that's something to consider as well, is there are real, real people behind the things that we're reading, the things that we're reviewing, the things that we're critiquing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if I like it or don't like it or I've picked it apart or I just read it and thought it was cool. It doesn't matter. There's still somebody who poured their whole heart and soul into whatever it is, even if I think it's awful, even if I think it's amazing for like no real reason and I just love it. There's somebody who made it. And when you put things out into the world and say, this is stupid, I hated it because I hated it, or, you know, I didn't like this, so you shouldn't read it at all. It doesn't matter, even if it was, like, objectively bad. There's still someone who loved it, someone who put work and time and thought into it, and you never know how those kind of comments are going to reflect on those people, you know? If mm-hmm. if I made something and someone said they hated it, I would take that personally no matter what. Right. So I think it's really easy to forget that even if we don't care for something, even if we're p- picking it apart and you know taking the art and the script and looking at it in different ways, there's still somebody who worked really, really hard on it and that somebody still matters and their feelings still matter. I have a friend who will like recite all of the negative reviews that anyone has ever written about their art. It's like, yeah. And I'm like, forget all the good ones. And yeah. So, you know, on the other hand, there's people who are literally like, I, this was work for hire. This is not my like life's work. I you know, and Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, when something means a lot to the reader and it doesn't mean that much to the creator, it's a little like if you get receive some kind of critique um, on your work and you genuinely are like you're an artist and you're striving to make the best work. I feel like if it's constructive criticism, you're going to take that into consideration. Whereas like if you don't care that much, if, if it's not your like life's work and someone's like, I don't like this for the, these reasons, you're just like, whatever, buddy, I don't care, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I think that you can't good or bad, you can't have an expectation that creators are going to engage with what you write about their work. Like you just need to not, don't tag them, like don't involve them. It's because it's not a conversation between you and the creator at all. It's a conversation between you and the, and the work and (laughs) their potential, uh, I don't know, like don't, don't be a dick, like don't hurt people's feelings because they do find it. (laughs) It's true. You know, but I just (laughs) think like you can't, you can't write about art, about art or comics or anything like treating it as a conversation between you and the creator as a person. Yeah. Right. It, it's, right, right. You know, I want to bring up a, a point that um, Megan kind of mentioned really quick about this whole, you know, you write something, you put it on Twitter, and then as soon as it's online, the author can read it compared to, you know, maybe 15 years ago when you'd write a review, and then you'd have to wait six months to see them at a convention. Have you found, like... And I think we, we kind of talked about this in the break for like a hot second um, about like, have you found that you, where you've run into one of those situations and actually run into the creator who maybe was upset with how you talked about their work and then you realize that it was just a miscommunication because Twitter is the worst medium to have a conversation that isn't just a sarcastic, <laughs> cynical joke? <laughs> Go ahead. Like it's happened to me a few times uh, that creators have contacted me and said, you know, I didn't intend that. Uh, More often, it's, you know, I appreciate you critiquing my work, I appreciate your take on it, and that's probably because I do tend to err to the positive side of things. I like Mm -hmm. to push the industry forward, I like to lift people up, Um, 
that's where I get joy and where I feel accomplished. But I've also seen a lot of interactions where uh, reviewers will be like overwhelmingly negative toward a creator personally, you know, saying, I don't understand their art, so it's bad. Ugh. And you see people who are really, really hurt by that because they are, you know, putting art into the world and a lot of people enjoy it, but the good reviews are never the ones that stick out. Mm. It's, right. it's the negatives. So, right. I mean, interacting with creators in that way is nice, but if you're saying, I mean, it's the same thing Tia was really realistically saying is you're not having a conversation with the creator. Mm -hmm. So if you're talking about the work, you're dissecting the work. If anything, you're talking to other people who might be interested in the comic or who might be working through their critique of it personally as well. So uh, fielding that interaction with creators when it does happen is strange. And there's not a lot of footing for it because... Twitter is so recent and because the internet happens so fast <laughs> right? Uh, and comics has kind of been behind the times, if anything. So there's not a lot of actual guidelines for how to interact between reviews and critiques and creators. Um, so the best advice I have on that front is to just try to be respectful and try to open up conversations and try to examine what the conversation is and just, you know, do your best, but try right. not to be a jerk. Well, and, Saying and, things are bad and telling people that their work is bad because you didn't like it, it's just, it doesn't get anybody anywhere except sad. Right. I mean, part of that is, is your own, you need to like look in and say like, why am I feeling so negative about this? Right. I mean, do, do you ask if, I guess in, in those cases, it seems like you, the, the people that have these overwhelmingly negative you know, reviews or, or thoughts or complaints on Twitter or whatever, you know, like the, there is like a question that I think these people need to ask themselves, which is like, why am I so upset by this thing? Because it's, I, I don't know, like there's, there's gotta be like a hard reason for it or something like that. I don't there, know. I feel like there's an unanswered thing out there that I can't put my finger on. I feel like 99 times out of a hundred, the answer is they are a frustrated, unsuccessful creator themselves and it isn't what they would have done. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's really, really personal. And I do think people need to sit back and examine that. Like, if you don't like something, do you need to say that really loud? Mm -hmm. Do you need to say that really loudly at the creator of that thing? Do you need to say that really loudly at other people who do like the thing? Or can you just stop reading it, stop yelling about it, and find something that you do really enjoy wholeheartedly? And it's different if you're taking issue with legitimate problematic issues. Like if, if a comic is transphobic and you are being loud about that, it's kind of acceptable. <laughs> if the you comic know. is sexist mm -hmm. and racist and you're you're talking about that and opening up a conversation, that's that's a constructive argument that can get somewhere. If you're saying I didn't like this so it's objectively bad and I'm going to keep saying that over and over and over, louder and louder and louder, that's not a constructive argument that can get somewhere. But like going back to our discussion earlier in the show about kid lobotomy, for example, um, I love it when comics are weird and sort of ineffable and kind of hard to figure out. And I don't care that much about plot. So if I don't pick everything up right away, I don't really, that doesn't phase me. I tend to reread comics a lot. So like, I'll get it. I, I really like the challenge of having things be very complicated. That could, for some people, be 
a turnoff that could like I you could just as easily have described everything about kid lobotomy that we talked about as stuff we liked and said it was really frustrating for me and I and I don't want to read that anymore and so um, I think it's important to keep in mind that as long as you're connecting it to something specific it's you know there are many facets to to any piece of of analysis from one perspective it's great and we love it from another perspective it maybe isn't something someone's into but at the core of that is the same thing which is like here's what is in the comic here's how it's put together here's what that does it's you know it's weird and it's kind of uh, nonsensical at times and it's really disorienting well for some people maybe they don't like that and it doesn't make it bad it just means that's not their preference I'm having a conversation about that exact issue right this second with other people about Maestros, which came out from Image this week. Oh, I don't yeah. know if any of you guys read it. Um, but <laughs> I read that comic, and then I read it again, and then I had to go talk to somebody. If I don't understand if I loved this comic or if I really, really hated this comic. So what? I need to sit down and pick it apart. It was weird. There were sexy ants and like a loincloth made of human faces and some really detailed phallic imagery. And <laughs> But it was also really, really cool. You should read it. It's very strange. No, yeah. No, I, I actually I'm picked gonna. it up and I, I accidentally <laughs> opened it exactly to the page that you just described. And I was like, oh, this is happening. Okay. Oh, yes. It's, it's happening a lot. Very up close. Um, so <laughs> that's something that I re- I read recently and I decided not to review it because I'm still working through it myself, but I feel like the first time I could have reviewed it and said, this is really bad. I didn't like it. The second time I could have reviewed it and said, this was really weird. And I think I kind of loved it. So you really huh. need to sit down mm-hmm. and examine those feelings. And that's a point when you can dig through the individual components of a book and critique those and have a conversation about it without necessarily saying this is objectively good or this is objectively bad because I felt that way. You you have to be really conscientious about when you're talking about yourself and when you're talking about the book. Right. Like Paul, I'm sorry, um, Paul, earlier you were saying that you don't really tend to focus much on plot and you focus more on like how the book's put together, which I'm the exact same <laughs> way. And I worry sometimes that that is a really significant weakness for me as as a writer because I, I really don't care about the plot it, to the point that sometimes I'll be describing a book to someone and someone will be like, uh, you missed a like really important detail they should probably know. And I'm like, really? I didn't think it was that important. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because... Um, Everyone has different priorities about what what yeah. they like, and that doesn't actually change what's there, but sometimes it can make it hard to know like how much to focus on certain aspects. Yeah, I guess for me, if I'm writing about a comic, I'm trying to describe the experience of what it was to read it. And in that regard, obviously the plot to me doesn't seem as interesting as the mechanics of the book, but there's other stuff I've written where I try to explore or explain the themes that I see in a comic. And that even that's not quite plot-based. It's like, well, here's an idea that is proposed by the story or the artists are implying, but that's different than pointing out the plot. Because I think writing about a, the plot of the book, I 
I find myself second guessing, do I understand what they're doing? Since I, I'm someone that's never really written fiction before. So I'm like, do I really understand the mechanics of what it takes to write a story? So for my approach, it's like, if I don't understand that, at least I can understand what's on the actual page and explore that. I'm the same way. And also I sort of feel like they'll get it when they read it. This happened and this happened and this happened. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting because I'm kind of the opposite. Uh, I come from a more literary background where I I know Tia at least comes from a more art history background. Uh, So I focus a lot on the plot and a lot on the dialogue and the script. And then learning how comics were put together was actually a big job for me. And I focus a lot on how the art interacts with and enhances and moves along the plot and the tone of the story, which mm-hmm. is cool. Um, but you have to focus on all kinds of things. And the reality is, and it's becoming more of an issue as comics and graphic novels are becoming more popular, uh, which is an awesome thing. But when you get them in bookstores and when you get them on NPR and things like that, people don't necessarily have an understanding of how comics are put together and how sequential art can affect the story. So they focus a lot on just the writing, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, you might as well just read a book if you're only going to focus on the writing because the art is there to be a part Mm -hmm. of it and to complement it and to affect it. So I think that's a weird thing that's happening as well as you, the whole point of comics is teamwork so if you focus on one element and leave out the other one, like Kid Lobotomy, if you focus just on the script, you would have absolutely no idea how much the art affects the reality of the words on the page. And it changes everything completely when you see the art compared with the words. So if you focus on one part, then you're missing out on the whole point of it being a comic book. Mm-hmm. Man. All right. Well, okay. I think we're about out of time, almost out of tape, whatever phrase you want to use to say. I we could we could probably talk about this forever. Megan, thank you. Thank you so much for being a person out there in the world trying to fix comics. Like that's something that we strive for really hard on this show. <laughs> and I'm so happy that you're out there. Like I'm I'm going to read everything that you write in the future moving on. I mean, I've been reading your stuff for a little while anyways, but any but nonetheless, it's so awesome to hear there's someone out there who gets it, who really wants to push comics forward in a really positive way. I think we need more of that in comics. So where can people find you on the internet? What kind of stuff do you want to plug? Anything you've got, you know, what, however much time you need. Um, you can find me on the internet. I'm on Twitter at HelloTinyMegan because I'm small and my name's Megan. You can say <laughs> hi to me, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, you can find me. I do the bulk of my writing on Comicosity and Word of the Nerd. I like to write about comics. I like to read comics. You can talk to me about comics. I'm also currently co-editing an anthology that's... uh, We're doing submissions right now, and it's going to kickstart later this year. Um, It's called Everything is Going Wrong. It's about the intersection of punk rock and mental illness with my friend Mark Bouchard, who I work with at CBR. And so we're working on that right now and trying to put cool comics into the world and write about cool comics and talk about cool comics. That's what I'm doing on the internet. That's so cool. Um, cool. Well, I mean, you can you can follow the rest of us on, on Twitter and all that stuff. Paul, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at OhHiPauly. You can also find me at SpikePilePod. That's my other podcast where me and my friend Matt talk about professional wrestling. We're all over the internet there as well. Cool. Tia, what about you? I'm on Twitter at Portrait of Madame X. And um, yeah, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is totally true. T is, T is a fantastic person to follow on Twitter. So is Paul. You know, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rappin. You can also check me out on Medium at Mike Rappin as well. I'm eventually going to write X-Men articles. I say this every week. I'm going to get back to it. I promised Renee I would. I hopefully by the next time he's on the show, which I think is next week. Oh, shit. I got to write another article. So um, <laughs> make sure to check us all out online. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast as well. We retweet stuff and we post polls such as who is the best con artist. I'm still really proud of that one during NYCC. That was a great one. IRCBpodcast.com is our website, and you can find all of the episodes there. You can also check us out on our Goodreads group. We have weekly threads. We talk about the monthly show, discussions in general about what we're reading. And uh, yeah, you can find most of us over there. Most importantly, if you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. And tell your friends. Share links to the show on Twitter and all social media platforms. If you have specific questions, suggestions, recipes you want to share with us, Ooh. email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org. Please give us a shout out or reach out to us. We really love talking to all of you. Yeah, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music, including the music for our Kickstarter. They're the coolest guys. They're super awesome. Go see them live. I believe they're on tour right now. Um, Xander is the super cool guy who has a heart of gold. He also edits the show. He's a fantastic human being. He's probably the most fantastic human being um, of the IRCB podcast group. Um, and finally, I want to say thank you to everyone. Thank you to all the people out there who backed us on Kickstarter. Remember, you can always go and get a t-shirt, I guess, for the next 19 or so days or whatever. You can get a t-shirt and a sticker at ircbpodcast.com slash ks2017 but thank you so much thank you to everyone who listens thank you Megan oh my goodness I'm so glad you were on the show this week it's been amazing me too so until next time we will check you all next week <laughs>